Welcome to the ECT podcast series, engaging with the researchers working on the long-term field experiments in ECT's national network. A very good morning to you from Mid Wales, where I'm visiting the Plinlimon Research Catchments. I'm here with Alan Radbourne, the site manager who is based at the UK Centre for Ecology and Hydrology in Bangor. A very good morning to you, Alan. That's to say, good morning and welcome to the Seven and Y Catchments here in the beautiful west part of Wales, Midwest, and it's a beautiful day for it as well. Thank you, Alan. And can you say something about the special landscape that we're in here in this part of Wales? Yes, so we are in the uplands of Midwest Wales, so not far away from Aberystwyth over in this area. And it's the source of two of the major rivers of our beautiful Welsh landscape, so the Severn and the Wye, as they diverge across different areas covering so much of Wales and being really important catchments for our headwater streams. And the Plinlimon Research catchments were added to ECT's register last year, but they have in fact been going for around 50 years. So would you like to just give us the background and history to the experimental setup here? Yes, of course. They do outlive me by quite a way, I must say. But we are in this area where so much heritage of science has happened. So about 50 years ago, there was a large research site and station here where there were, I believe, over 20 people employed almost full time. Assessing, initially the question was the hydrology of these catchments and how the impacts of the coniferous forests that had been planted on one catchment in the headwaters of the Severn compared to the primarily farmland and upland of the Y catchments. And it was looking at the difference that then grew into the acidification question with, as we will hear from my colleague Jack later, and his interest in that science through that time. And then through that, this research station has developed and has ebbed and flowed through different seasons with different key questions, as this being a hub and a key Um, cornerstone in these upland sites of how we can understand science on a catchment scale. So that has developed into a whole load of different science questions that have been answered here um, or started to be answered here over the last 50 years. Excellent and can you say something about the impacts of the research here at Plinlimon both in terms of science and policy impacts as well? Yes, well, there's been a huge amount of publications come out here. Hundreds of publications linked to Plinlimon data over the last 50 years. Nature papers, science papers, some of the highest quality to some of the simplest, just a PhD student doing their quite intense work on a small area. There's a full range here from your hydrology, your ecology, your forest and soils, your atmospheric chemistry. It encompasses it all and that's what makes it such a rich heritage here and and that has really guided policy then for the way that forests are managed and looked at, the impacts and the changes from farmed catchments to these coniferous forests. 
obviously it all started with the hydrology and understanding the shifts of soil moisture and all of that throughout the last 50 years but then that impacts so much of the ecology and the whole system functioning here that has really guided so much development in Wales. Okay, shall we move on then to another part of the catchments and, and pick things up in a few moments? Yeah, let's go show you a hut. So we've now walked up the seven catchments to the first research infrastructure on this experiment and we're standing now by an experimental weir. Alan, do you want to just explain what's going on here? Yes, well we've got this quite man-made structure so it is a big concrete V cut in to create a weir that dams off the river so that we can get all of the flow and we can constrain what the flow is coming through from the Severn so that it then feeds into this big hut here that has a stilling well inside so we can take automatic measurements of the water depth known via how much water is flowing through the weir at the time so this is then great because it does it at low flow and high flow so we can see and really understand on a curve how much water flow we have and then all of our measurements will base off that knowledge. And how long has this experimental weir been in place here? Well this I believe was designed in the 1950s so it has been here for the whole time of the project. This is kind of a key fundamental cornerstone of the Plinlimon research catchments and there are six or seven of these dotted all the way up the weir and the seven. And I can see here Alan that we have quite a low flow today. I'm sure it's not always like that. No definitely not. Today I think you could just about stand up in it and it would be okay if you had your welly boots on but in full spate after a rainstorm especially in the winter it really does come up this V, probably at least halfway, so you would be at least chest height. That is if you could stand up in it, because the flow is so strong and so quick, you'd be quickly washed downstream in this area. And can you just explain how this links to ecological considerations? Well, understanding the hydrology and these aspects can describe the habitat conditions for the ecology. So whether that's the aquatic ecology, looking at the diatoms and the macroinverts that will build a home in this area, understanding the flow and velocity. We take chemistry water samples up and down the catchment as well to understand the differences in the nutrient and chemistries that will feed into these habitats. And obviously then that feeds into the wider aspect, the comparison of the two catchments between forest and farmland makes a huge difference between what nutrients and what sediment we have in these watercourses. So then that will change the characteristics of what sort of ecology we will find in the water. So we've now walked further up the catchment to one of the sediment traps where we've paused at a place where we're surrounded by conifer forest. And Jack Cosby has now joined us, the principal investigator for the study from UKCEH Bangor. A very good morning to you, Jack. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Nice to be here with you. And could you say something about the conifer forest history here and how land management use interfaces with science? The original purpose of this study was to look at the effect of afforestation. Back in the 60s, there were plans to put lots of forest up, and there was a real concern that putting forest up might steal the water that we were using in the cities for drinking. So nobody really knew what the water balance of a forest was compared to the water balance of a moorland stream running through a farm area. 
So the study was implemented at that point, and here in the Severn catchment where we are right now, the infrastructure that we built for the study started at about the same time they planted the forest. So the forest here, some of it is 60 to 70 years old, but quite a lot of it is the same age as our studies. It's a currently actively managed forest as well, so as you walk through the areas you can see, there's been clear-cut areas, there's undergrowth coming back, there's second planting happening, and all this is part of understanding how managing our natural resources affects the ecology of the area, affects what we export from the area in streams. So the forest versus the moorland farmland side has given us a lot of information, not only about how to manage our water resources, but how to manage our terrestrial resources as well. And could you expand on the broader research projects that are ongoing here at the moment? It comes and goes in Plinlimon, to be perfectly honest. We've been around for so long that we've outlived many of our research projects in the past. It started primarily as a hydrological study, as I mentioned, but there have been quite a few studies looking at things like nutrient cycling in the forest, the effect of nitrogen deposition from the atmosphere on growth both in moorlands and in the forest, looking at what the farmers do in terms of lime application and how they manage their land. How does that affect the growth not only in their areas next to the forest, but in, is there bleed over into the forest? So it's been a good place with long enough history to what we've been doing to actually see changes in the way land is managed, changes in what society values in terms of recreation and relaxation, as well as just basic changes in the ecosystems as they grow older. Excellent, very interesting. So we'll walk a little further up the catchment and pick up some questions on future research priorities. That sounds great. So we're now a little further upstream at one of the flumes that constrains catchment flow and returning to Alan. Alan, would you like to say something about the future research priorities here at Plinlimon? Yes, in the Plinlimon research catchments, currently there are a few ongoing projects that are still running. So there's the Upland Waters Monitoring Project that is a network across the UK and, and Plinlimon is one of those sites collecting a whole host of water chemistry, diatoms, you name it, within and around the water area. There's a Cosmos site at Plinlimon as well, which looks at soil moisture using cosmic rays to try and assess that ongoing soil moisture within the catchment. And then one of the latest developments has been the GGR rock dust project, or enhanced rock weathering. So this is about spreading a basalt rock dust across a catchment. So this is based in the Y catchment, in the farmed catchment, where we are spreading rock dust to try and enhance carbon burial within that. But the wider aspect of that project is to see what other impacts that has. So what impacts does it have on the vegetation change, on the in-stream ecology, on the water chemistry, and to try and get a holistic picture of if this really is implemented on a wider scale for the UK for carbon burial using enhanced rock weathering, what are the other trade-offs that might be considered, positive or negative trade-offs, to aid policy development in that? The GGR project is part of a much broader understanding of these carbon methods and Plinlimon has been used because of its history and because of its access to all of these wider data that really aids the understanding of the impact of enhanced rock weathering on a catchment scale. And that speaks to wider collaboration. Presumably you and the rest of the team at UKCEH are very open in these future projects to wider collaboration using this area as a research platform. Yeah, definitely. There's so much that has happened here at Plinlimon. The depth 
and wealth of data that we hold here and the ability to be able to really understand this mosaic of catchments together, like this paired catchment side by side, understanding what's happening here and, and we're always open to looking for more and using this as a platform to run more science projects and answer those big policy and science questions going forwards. So we're now back at the main confluence of the Seven Rivers two source tributaries and turning back to Jack for the final word today. Jack, can you give us your perspective on the intrinsic value of long-term ecological field experiments more generally? I'd be happy to. But first, I'd just like to say that we're really excited that the Venerable Lowell Plinlimon Research Catchments are now part of the Ecological Continuity Trust. Glad to be in that group and looking forward to further collaboration. We're sitting at this confluence. I've been here before many years ago. In fact, I would probably be here before a lot of these trees grew, and I hate to say that. But it has been a long part of my career working in Plinlimon, and I've seen lots of things come and go over that time. As I mentioned, originally it started out to be a study of water resources. How do we manage our water for cities? How do we manage forests? Ecology got involved in that because that's all part of water supply and water quality. And so the UK CEH, Centre for Ecology and Hydrology, has become more focused on ecological studies. Plin Lemons remain one of our basic infrastructure living laboratories, if you will. I'd like to give you a couple of thoughts about what I think research in the field is like. When you're doing long-term ecological research, there's two things that you're trying to do. One is, of course, conservation. It's trying to protect endangered species, trying to make sure there's some sort of a, a bank present for the future to have hold of. And that kind of a, of a study site is managed very differently than what Plinlimon is. Plinlimon is more of a living laboratory. It's not ring-fenced. The farmer still farms. NRW still manages this forest commercially. It's changing. And what changes in the forest changes as societal pressure changes, as climate changes as we go forward. As I said, when I first started here, it was a study of water resources and water supply. Uh, in the late 80s and 90s, it became a center of acid deposition research in the UK. That's something that you can't ring fence. That's a, a long-range transported problem that comes in. And without sites like this to know what it was like all over the landscape before the rain started, you wouldn't be able then to understand what the effects of the rain were. But we've gone on from that. We've reduced emissions of sulfur. We can watch the system recover. That's another set of ecological responses that you get out of a long-term study site. And of course, now we're into climate change. Now we're looking at climate drivers changing this. And we're in the headwaters of the Severn, which is a great large catchment. And as a result, the long-term history that we know about hydrology and ecology here helps set the stage and put it in context what the next set of policies might be, what the next research questions might be. So that's the one thing. It is a living laboratory. You live in it. You use it. It's used for recreation. And it has its own place in long-term research. Great. That's an excellent articulation, Jack, of the benefits and value of LTEs. Do you want to add to that with something about the challenges that all PIs running LTEs have faced and perhaps continue to face? Oh, it's a laundry list. I could go on and on forever. As you might expect, any project that's funded by the government or funded by research institutions has a finite lifetime, even if those lifetime are on the order of years or decades. But a long-term study site like this that's been in place for 50 years faces fairly unique problems in maintaining the infrastructure. We have fantastic machines that were used to install all of our flumes. We've got weather stations in place, but somebody has to pay to keep those things up 
up to process the data, to store the data, to make the data available to other researchers. Each project, when it comes in, contributes a little bit to that, but if you're studying trees and the last group that was in here was studying water, you're not going to support their infrastructure. So finding ways to keep these sites open, keep them running, keep the high quality of data coming out of them is always a challenge. UKCEH is very good as an organization because they, we provide a lot of our own infrastructure support to help maintain these catchments, and that's maybe one reason why Plinlimon has persisted for so long. But it's getting harder and harder to do that. We're all facing tighter budgets. And if we're going to keep this kind of long-term research going, we're going to have to find new ways of collaborating, new ways of funding. And as I mentioned a moment ago, that's one reason we're very excited to be part of the Trust, because I think this is something that all members of the Trust should be working on. Thank you, and that's a really important message. So to close, thank you, Jack, and also to you, Alan, for hosting ECT here today. No, you're very welcome. Yeah, definitely. Thank you.